But I just want to tell you that that picture of me, that boat taking on water, like I don't think that's the same. In fact, I think they had it worse than I did that day. It was much more terrifying than what I experienced. And so this passage we're going to see where maybe you feel like, hey, I've, I've, I've been in a situation sort of like that, but we're going to dive in and we're going to see. I think there's a lot for us to see as we kind of dive into that today and we kind of take a look at what that scripture says. Before we just open the word, maybe as you're still turning there to Mark, we're going to be in chapter 4 there at the very end, starting in verse 35. I just want to pray that God would give us insight into the scripture. So join me as we pray. God, we ask for you to illuminate your word. These scriptures that we read, we pray that you would give light to them so that it would not pass over us, but that we would hear and understand and learn. Would you speak to our hearts today? We believe you can do that because your Holy Spirit is in this place is among us, and your Holy Spirit can work in our hearts in ways that no one else can. So God, we invite you to move and teach us through your word today. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. So look there at Mark 4, verse 35. If you've got a Bible where you can kind of flip back and you kind of know the context Maybe you're seeing that some of the headings as you were turning there, are Jesus teaching about parables. That's kind of where we were at in Mark chapter 4 before we took a break a few weeks ago. Jesus was teaching these parables. And let me just say parables are kind of like just stories that reveal truth about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is teaching in these stories and they're kind of helping people understand what God's kingdom is like. And he's out beside the water. Uh, the water, the Sea of Galilee is where he's teaching and the, the, there's this big crowd that's gathered around him. And um, we know at the beginning of uh, chapter 4, it says that he, Jesus was teaching by the sea and this huge crowd had gathered around him. It says, so he got into a boat and he sat there and he taught. And so that's the picture where we're kind of at is that there's a big crowd. It's kind of pressing in on him so much so that it was best that he would teach from the boat, actually in the water, to the crowd. He had been doing that all day, and it says there in verse, our verse there in verse 35 that um, evening had come. And so they're already kind of in the boat, and Jesus says, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Let's kind of just go on and kind of pass across. And so we're going to see here, as we kind of begin this journey, that the teaching about parables to illuminate God's kingdom is an important piece of chapter 4. We're going to shift gears and we're going to start that right here at this section where we're going to see a series of miracles. And in this text today, the series of miracles is designed for us and Mark's writing this so that we would understand the divinity of Jesus. The power that kind of everyone knows God has power over all things. But the miracles that Jesus performs will help us see how Jesus holds that power. And so that's kind of where we're going right here in the text today. The, um, as we look in there, we're going to see that Jesus was not just a man. He's a son of God. Jesus is divine. That Jesus is God. Let me ask you, have you ever wanted to see a miracle? Like, have you ever said, I just wish... I could see 
a miracle, like with my own eyes. I remember being in elementary school and for some reason looking up at the sky and just saying, I would love to see a miracle, like do something. Sort of, I remember asking sort of like, maybe the clouds would turn a different color. That would be pretty cool. Or that maybe like, you know, the wind would just knock a tree over right in front of me or that God would just do something to, to show me that, uh, that he was there. I remember um, being older than elementary school. I remember being, um, even as, as an adult, having a place where my faith was really struggling and having doubts and thinking, God, I want to see a miracle, not just kind of like a, a cool childlike way. I, I need to see a miracle because I'm having some doubts. You ever wanted to see a miracle and kind of said, that would really fix everything. God, if you would just show me a miracle, like everything would be okay. All this turmoil that I'm experiencing, these doubts that I have, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe everything. What we're going to see as people really experience miracles is that when God's power is made known, it's terrifying. You see, I thought as an elementary school kid, and I sometimes still think today, miracles, man, that would fix everything for me. And what we're going to see is that the miracles cause fear, unlike anything else. When God reveals himself, it's frightening. More so than a boat in a storm. Let's look at this text. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, time out. When I read through this and I get to that part and that phrase, like it's easy for me to get to that that part where it says, so that the boat was already filling, and just kind of pass right through that. Like, that's a nice way to say things. The boat was already filling. Like, who talks like that? I don't talk like that. Let me translate that to you a little bit, sort of like East Tennessee, what's going on here. When it says in this nice, neat language, oh, the boat was filling, it means water was going into the boat so that it was about to sink. Like, not like my raft, which is designed to take on water. These are wooden boats not designed to take on water. And guys who had been fishermen their whole lives were in the situation where they're thinking, the boat is about to sink. Now, you would think if somebody, you know, doesn't know, they've not been on water that much, oh, it splashes in, oh, we're sinking, they'd be a little afraid. Now, these were guys who knew when a boat was about to sink. That's what's going on here. It says the boat was taking on water. They knew it's about to sink. More so, it's the middle of the night. It's dark outside. It's not daytime anymore. Evening had come and then they set out. The middle of the night, the boat's taking on water. Crazy storm. And it's filling up. These guys were scared. You know, I was on the Ocoee River. I could see the shore. It was within reach. I've already told you, I'm a good swimmer, and I had a life jacket on. So I was scared, but not like this. This boat was taking in water. Fishermen that had been, these guys who have been fishermen their whole life were scared. I've been in a situation similar, but not like that. Some of you in here 
have been in a situation like that. Maybe you've been in a boat that is, a, is sinking. Maybe some of you have actually survived a shipwreck. Maybe you've been on an airplane that was starting to crash. Maybe you've been in a tornado that rips your house apart. Maybe you've been in that situation that's like this before, and you know when they say, I'm scared out of my mind, you know what that feels like. And this is not like some dramatic, oh, no, my life is over. Like this is real, genuine fear for your life. Absolute panic. Time in. Let's keep reading. But Jesus was asleep on the cushion. Okay. I've been in church ministry a long time. 13 years full time. And I've heard a lot of stories from people who've said something like this. I don't have faith in God anymore because when I needed him most, he wasn't there. I don't believe that God exists. Or maybe I I believe he exists, but I don't believe he really cares about me because when I needed him most, he wasn't there. Some of you have been on in like full on panic mode. And you felt like Jesus was asleep. Some of you might even be sitting here today and you'd say, like, I I sort of believe a little bit. But your faith is like wiped out. It's destroyed. Because when it comes down to it, you felt like when I needed God most, he wasn't there. When I said, God, I need you in this moment, just that's all I would ever ask for. And there was silence. It was as if he was asleep. If that's you today, you need to hear what happens in this passage. You need to hear these words that are important for you. You weren't the first person that this has happened to. The disciples here, and when we, the disciples that are with Jesus, they're not like wondering, is Jesus asleep? Like they actually saw him in the boat sleeping in the moment of sheer terror. So this story has a lot of truth for us. If you'll listen, here's what happens next. And they woke Jesus up and they said to him, do you not care that we're perishing? I know that you've felt that. I know I have. Do you not care God, do you you not care about what's going on right now? I'll never forget sitting in my my car at, at the doctor's office. Leslie and I were sitting there. We had just left the doctor's office. And they told us that that we were losing our baby. It was the third miscarriage in a row. I remember shouting out loud in the car as I was banging on the steering wheel. Do you not care? I needed God in that moment, and he wasn't there. I felt like he was sleeping. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of you know that in a critical moment, like you've been desperate, and you felt like God was asleep. 
the disciples found Jesus asleep. Like they saw him asleep in that same moment for them. They're in a critical moment. They need him and they find that he's asleep. What is Jesus going to say? Let's look. So Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He said, Why are you so afraid? Have faith. Jesus was in the boat with them, and they were terrified. They had lost faith. Later on in Mark, actually in chapter 6, the disciples are going to get back into a boat, but this time it's not going to be with Jesus. Jesus is going to hang out on the shore, and he's going to say, go back ahead. And I imagine they're thinking, last time this didn't go out so well for us. But nonetheless, they get back in the boat, but this time it's not without Jesus. And of course, there's more wind. And they're rowing and rowing and rowing into this headwind, and they're thinking, oh, man, we're getting nowhere. Here we are again. And even when Jesus is not in the boat, like he comes back out there, and it's like... He walks on water to get to them. It's pretty awesome. You know, it might feel like for us that a lot of times Jesus just is asleep. This situation is too terrifying. I don't want to do this again. I've tried that. It didn't, didn't end well. Jesus is nowhere to be found. I mean, you may feel like he's here, but he's asleep. And then you may feel like he's not even in the boat with me. What we need to see today is that his power can be trusted. You see, the crazy part about this story is not that the storm died down. The crazy part is that the fear, even when the water was still, the fear increased. Verse 41 says, they were filled with great fear. Actually, that word filled is a verb that means to be filled with fear. And then it also goes on to say, with great fear. So like it's amplifying the fact that they were, you could actually just leave out the great fear part and it would still mean they were filled with fear. But then Mark writes and he says, with a great fear. Now you like the word in Greek for great, it's uh, megas. And so mega, they were filled with this mega fear when the sea was calm. They were so terrified of God's power that was so much greater than this storm. There was a fear, not of the waves or the wind, but a fear of God. Let's keep reading. Chapter 5. Let's dive in there. Verse 1. So they came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Like, can you imagine this? That like, here's this guy who can rip apart chains. I mean, they chained him like an animal and he's like, like ripping it apart. That here's this guy. I mean, he is absolutely out of control, superhuman strength. And yet Mark pauses here and says, do you understand how heartbreaking this guy's story was? 
Like he takes a moment and gives us this description that's just haunting. It says in verse 5 that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He didn't like himself. He was, he was crying and shouting, not just in the, in the day, but at night, all the time, just crying out and then cutting himself with stones because he, I could just imagine how he just looks at his own body, that same body that you think superhuman strength, and he says, I just uh, I don't like it. He didn't know what to do with these demons inside of him. And so that's the guy that verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. Now, remember, it's nighttime. He ran, and here's the guy that runs at Jesus. Now, I don't know how like, courageous you are. You may be like, ah, no big deal. I, I would be terrified. Here's this guy running at Jesus, and he, but he fell down right before him. Verse 7, it says, In crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, they had crossed over the sea, and they were in this area that's called Gentile land. It's, you call it Gentile land because it's not Jews who believed in God. It's people who didn't really worship God at all. And so they're in this place where people don't worship God. So that phrase, actually, Son of the Most High God, is, is a way to describe that, that Jesus, as the Son of God, is the Son of the God that's higher than all the pagan gods, higher than all of the other gods that are in this land. Son of the Most High God, what would you do with me? He says, please, would you not torment me? For Jesus had been saying, come out of him. And so the demons essentially will begin to beg Jesus to leave them alone. Verse 9, Jesus says, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Roman Legion, some of you know this, because you love history, was the largest group of soldiers in the Roman army. It was 5,600 soldiers. And so to be called legion is like this chilling reminder of the purpose and the intent and the sheer number of the demons that were possessing this guy. It says in verse 10, he begged them earnestly not to send him out of the country. We already talked about why this is a pagan country. And so why not out of the country? Well, because the demons have free roam here. There's, they just kind of have this ability to, um, to work. And so clearly this area it was really known as uh, this area called the uh, Decapolis. It was ten cities. And um, I have a map. Just show that up here real quick. Um, so that's the see The Galilee is kind of where Jesus was. The red line um, is kind of about approximately where they crossed the Sea of Galilee. And then Decapolis is that area that's kind of down there below the sea. And that's, there are ten cities, really except for one, that's kind of an exception, that's, that are all on that uh, eastern side of the Jordan River. And so that whole area was kind of like Gentile territory. And Mark makes it a point as he's writing to kind of let you know this is Gentile territory. We had that son of the most high God phrase. We're going to see that there are pigs there. And if you're a Jew, you know, you don't have anything to do with pigs. Um, And so he kind of makes this known that this is all Gentile territory. There's a lot actually in this story if you're a Jew to be offended by. 
But here's this cool thing that takes place. Jesus frees the man from the demons. The, he's, they say, would you just send us into the, that group of pigs? And now how many pigs were there? 2,000. I tried to find a picture of 2,000 pigs online. That's a scary sight. Uh, I didn't put it like, that's a lot of pigs. And so, like a lot of pigs, 2,000 pigs, and then they're like so filled with this evil that they just rush out into the water and they drown. So then the guys who are in charge of the pigs are thinking, no, 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 no. That was 2,000 pigs that are gone. I'm going to go tell someone. And so they went and they told someone. And then everybody's coming back and they're trying to say, like, what's going on here? What's, what's happening? And their response really to Jesus in verse 17 is that they beg Jesus to leave. Please leave. The disciples had just gotten out of a boat where they were more afraid of Jesus' power than they were the storm. And these people in this story here are more afraid of Jesus' power than this crazy man that they couldn't even bind with chains. Please leave. And that's kind of like our heart's response to Jesus that most people, I mean, we ask this, I want to see God's power manifest here i want to see it you know when people see god's power manifest a lot of times they're afraid and they ask him to go well he leaves he gets back into the boat and so the man kind of as he's getting back into the boat this man who's now calm says i want to go with you i want to go with you please let me go and jesus says no 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 i want you to stay here go and tell people What's happened in your life? Go explain. And how cool is this? This guy who was kicked out of society, living in the tombs, hated his life, cutting himself, tormented, becomes the first missionary preacher. He's a Gentile sent out to Gentiles. That Jesus commissions him, be a missionary preacher to the Gentiles. And so he stays there. And he tells other people, see the crazy part is that they wanted to kick Jesus out of their land, and Jesus stayed there in the message of the guy who told his story. They wanted him away, and wouldn't you know he stays? Because Jesus is always present in the gospel message of people who follow him. Now, I don't know how you feel. I mean, you may feel like, I've never been in a boat where I'm t terrified for my life. I've not really been in that sinking storm. You may feel like, more like this story hits home for you. That there's this wretchedness in your life that you feel like, I just don't like my life. There's this brokenness that's a part of who you are and you feel like, I just I hate myself. Have you ever, do you know anybody really who, who's cut themselves? I do. I know people who will take razor blades and cut their own body because they're so overwhelmed with what's going on in their life. And they just say, I just, they'll write things that are horrible, like with the razor blade in their arms and their legs. I've had a lot of conversations with teenagers who, you know, they would say, I'm not in like this sinking boat, but man, I, my life is so messed up, there's no power that could ever fix it. You know, my life is so broken, so wretched, nothing can save me just hate my life. 
Do you feel like your life's too far for Jesus to restore you? Do you feel like there's a power that's able to save you from that? Have you given up on maybe that friend you have and, you know, they're cutting and they're into demonic things and you think they're just, they're too far gone. And so you've given up, you've even stopped praying for them. Without a doubt, I know God wants to challenge our faith today. We have another story, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then there came a ruler of the synagogue, synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. I think that's cool that there's like no conversation. Okay, how sick is she? Like he just goes, and here's, I think, I don't know, this is not in the Bible, but I'm a dad, and I know that if, if my daughter were at the point of death, I would be trembling. Like my whole body would display my desperation for something. And here's a guy who's got a lot of pride to set aside in order to come and sit at kind of before the feet of this guy that we know all the religious leaders think Jesus is possessed by Satan. And so he comes and says, like, please. And so Jesus comes. And, but there's a great crowd again. And, and it's like this crowd, I imagine it's sort of like an ambulance trying to get through a traffic jam. It's painfully slow. Painfully slow. And so this guy, like, I mean, I'm just picturing how he's feeling, like, you know, he's kind of just tapping his hands, you know, trying to stay calm, but he's nervous, like he's a mess. And he's like, you know, head's nodding, like, come on, come on, come on. And then the pace comes to a complete stop. Because Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me in the crowd. Well, that's a funny thing to say because everyone's touching them. But someone touched him and it, this is one of those places, if you were with us in part one for Mark, where Scott described this term, he called it a Markin sandwich. And it's where Jesus is telling this, this story or Mark's, Mark's writing this story about Jesus and he places something right in the middle of that story like a sandwich. And the key to understanding the surrounding story is right in the middle. And the key to understanding the story about the sick little girl is found in the faith of the woman who was bleeding. She was desperate. She was desperate. But she came and it, the Bible says that she had spent everything that she had trying to find help. She had been bleeding for, for 12 years. And this interruption here uh, provides this, actually the, the key to understanding the story. You see, it's her faith that should inform Jairus' faith. So, while they're talking, while all this is going on, people come and they say, it's all right, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter's dead. And so that little bit of hope that they had is gone. There's no more hope. All hope has disappeared. And Jesus looks over and says, verse 36, Do not fear, only believe. You think, 
Like I had this much hope, I have zero hope. Jesus says, don't fear, only believe. Well, then you see they, they finally make it there and then the group kind of reduces down to what you'd think is the inner circle and they go into where the girl is and Jesus kind of actually uses the same phrase that he does to the woman and says, you know, little girl, and the same touch that healed the woman who's bleeding is the touch that he uses to lift this girl back up. And he says, come up, you're, you're okay. He actually, the, Mark remembers the phrase. It's kind of that moment where like that phrase sticks out and he uses the, the Aramaic words. He says to her, Talitha kum, which, which just means little girl, get up. She, she came alive and she was dead. So Jesus has this power to, to calm a storm. Normally that's something that God would do. He has the power over every evil force to restore the most broken and wretched life and the power over death. The divinity of Jesus is revealed. You know, you may not have ever been fear for your life in a boat. and Maybe you think, my life's all right. I'm not cutting myself. I, I like my life. I like who I am. I look good in the mirror. I don't know. You may feel really good about that. But you can relate to desperation. You've tried everything. This woman, it says she had tried everything. I was imagining through that and I thought, man, she probably drank nasty potions that were supposed to make her better and made her worse. She probably drank this cocktail of herbs that was just like make you throw up. Disgusting. She spent a lot of money going to people who probably said really cool phrases and promised to make her well. And she didn't. She had exhausted every resource that she had. And this faith that she had was probably like a superstitious faith. I've heard that if you just touch his garments, you could be healed. So this superstitious faith, presumptuous at best, is what we're supposed to understand and interpret the synagogue ruler's story with. You see, he didn't have faith. None. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Believe. I think it's cool for you and I that we don't have to have everything figured out to have a faith that Jesus honors. A lot of times we think, like, it takes this faith that's just way out of the reach of what I could do. This woman whose faith has said, this is how you have faith, is, is really a very weak, young, immature faith. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that that's the type of faith that Jesus is asking for? Here's the bottom line today. Like, you may forget everything else. Here's the bottom line. When life seems overwhelming, you can trust Jesus. When life seems overwhelming, you can trust Jesus. When every hope that you have is lost, it's gone, you can trust Jesus. When fear has gripped you so tightly that you're paralyzed, you can trust Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step beyond that. Maybe that takes a little more courage. 
Would you change that phrase to, when my life seems overwhelming, I can trust Jesus? When my life seems overwhelming, I can trust Jesus. Actually, let's take it one step beyond that. When my life seems overwhelming, I will trust Jesus. Because what if you did? What if you decided that it doesn't matter what's going on, I'm going to trust Jesus? What if you decided that there's nothing that's greater than Jesus? What if you decided that instead of living without hope, instead of uh, being in fear for my life, instead of giving up, that you would trust in the power of Jesus? It seems obvious that we would worry about the winds and the waves and the things that crash into our life. It seems obvious that we would be anxious and fearful of disease, especially when there's a disease that there's no cure for. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Have faith. You know why he says that? Because the stuff that we worry most about, that stuff that we're so afraid of, that's the stuff that we're going to be most devoted to. The things you worry the most about, you're going to be most devoted to that. Let me say it this way. The stuff you're most afraid of is the stuff that you're going to be devoted to. I could even say the stuff that you're afraid of, you will be a slave to. I want to give you one last thought. It's a quote from Oswald Chambers. He says this, The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. When we have a healthy fear of God, I'm not talking about that fear that some self-righteous person has tried to bang in your head. I'm not talking about that. A healthy fear of the power of God. You're going to end up in a place where all other fears will fade away. Let's pray. God, your power is terrifying. Your power is something that produces more fear than the worst storm. When we see how you can change a life, it's frightening because we realize you can transform stuff that we thought was long gone. And God, when we see you raise someone from the dead, that thing that we would be most afraid of, death, you're, you've defeated it. You have more power than even death. And so, God, we stand in fear of your power. We're not going to run away and hide. You don't want that. God, you want us to be in awe. And so when we stand in your presence, we stand amazed. Thanks for these miracles and how we can learn from them. 
Seal those truths in our heart that we would live differently. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, this power that Jesus has to raise a young girl from the dead is just like a preview of what's coming, right? Last week at Easter, we celebrated the power over death. And it's not just to raise a young girl to life, but it's the power over death where Jesus was buried in a grave because He had died a death to take on our sin. But He rose. In Romans chapter 6, it says, we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You know that thing that all of us are afraid of is, is death? Like, we don't have to be afraid of that anymore. Because when we're baptized and we unite with Him, we unite with Him not just in His death and His burial, but in His resurrection. I just wonder today, like, have you, have you placed your hope and trust in Jesus? Have you said yes to Him and united with Him in baptism? And, there, and then you can stand today and you say, I, I don't have fear because I believe death has no power over me. I fear God, but I don't fear this world. I don't fear evil. I don't feel, fear those moments of death. I have faith in Jesus. If you've not made that decision today, there's no sense in waiting. You can come right as we sing this song and you can make that decision today and you can start to walk in a life you don't have